Hi, and welcome to Making the World More Active, the MyMove podcast. I'm Marcella Grizo, co-founder of MyMove. Our goal is for more young people to develop a special relationship with physical activity so that they flourish, reaping the many benefits that come with an active life. In the podcast, we have the pleasure of talking to outstanding professionals who are making a difference in the field. In each episode, they share their ideas. We hope these serve to inspire you and or affirm your current practice. My Move is a bespoke app designed to increase young people's physical activity levels. It provides unprecedented and powerful evidence to inform professional decision-making and celebrate your hard work as well as the efforts of your students. To find out more, visit mymoveapp.com. But for now, sit back and enjoy this episode with my co-founder, Greg Dreyer. I suppose when it comes to like knowing, Greg, it's like, it's all, it's all inferred, isn't it? Like I can like know or feel happy, but that's, it's never ever something you have and possess. And this is the the problem I I find with it because that model of like, um, let's just call it what it is. The cognitive load theory model is, is a possession model. It's an acquiring, and and you see that in the words and the, the language, and and there's a narrative here, and it's and it's not anything that's a secret. Like that is the framework that is underpinning the whole um, education. That is un, that is the framework that that we're going with. So they have to make, and and I appreciate as well that Ofsted have. To, if you're a research reviewer, you have to make it fit. Um, but what you're seeing then is a pushback from every subject, and that's what I'm starting to realise. It's not just from PE. You're seeing maths. The maths review got absolutely hammered there's an amazing blog come out the other day from the english one about how it's so we're all having the same issue as subjects practitioners that this is too narrow so going back to your question do you have to know how you feel i i just don't think we can put markers down and say okay we're going to talk to you now and we're going to um, question you how do you feel and and then we're going to use that as an assessment at that point because at any one moment someone's going to change how they feel and the next lesson they're going to come back and change and that's not to say you shouldn't reflect and talk about it i do i do think that's important i think reflection is key and i think allowing that space in pe is is unbelievable because otherwise you just carry on doing and, and there isn't that time but i think once we start to like see knowing as like a commodity so that means that we have to assess it and we have to collate it and we have to bring it. Then it becomes like there has to be a way of knowing. And I think, I think the point I'm always keen on is that there is multiple ways of knowing or feeling and we won't know how people feel. We can never guess and we can make inference and even people might, want, might not know. There's a really interesting point about uh, tacit knowledge. Like you can't explain it. Like when you do something or you feel a certain way, like, or you do, you can't always explain it and verbalize it. So I think there's sometimes in the education, because, oh, because we can't measure it, then we should, we should find ways to measure it. Or because it's really hard to, um, yeah, to pin down, then we should avoid it. But actually that's what makes us human. That, that, that bit in the middle where it's really nuanced and it's like, I can't really explain it, but I've got a feeling. Everyone's had that in their life. And everyone has that throughout their life. So why do we need to progress, suppress it for PE? But I, I always think, I said it before a couple of years ago, I don't think we need to assess PE. I don't think we need to assess anything in PE. I think if we didn't assess, we'd be absolutely fine. 
I don't think that the, the walls will fall apart. I really don't think that would happen. I think assessment in its common form, where it is um, narrow, where it's misled sometimes in terms of like assessing physical skills as a determinant of um, being physically educated. I think that actually has done more harm potentially than not assessing at all and actually having a pedagogy that allows people to explore and to, to learn and, and to, to enjoy movement. And I know you hate the word fun and I'm not saying make, make the lesson fun and make PE fun. But engagement in enjoyment doesn't have to be just in fun. Like I went to the golf course the other day, Greg. I was absolutely terrible. I wanted to walk off, but I was engaged because I want to, I'm engaged for my own purposes and it's mine. That's what I think was missing. It's my knowledge that I'm developing. It's my experience that I'm developing. And I just think uh, the narrow view of it is always going to take that away. It's someone else's. And then what happens when we leave? If we leave the students, then what, what are they left with? Now, of course, people who've got agency, they're always going to do what they want to do. And even when they leave us, it's not like we have that much of an impact. We have two hours of pee a week. But with the time we have, can we just use it a little bit better so people feel like they are a little bit in control and have some agency in, in, in deciding where they go with their movement? And this is the last thing I'll say is like, PE is different for me. I hear people say PE is not different. It's still education. But I don't know any other subject where you're trying to learn something using your body and someone can come and disrupt your body and physically hurt you to stop you from learning. Like if I'm trying to learn how to use Pythagoras film, no one's going to come up and grab me by the waist and rest me to the floor. So the environment has a massive impact on the way I learn and, and the experiences I have. So, and that's why I think it's important to include that in any curriculum and, and think about that before you start planning a curriculum. Well, there's a lot there. There's some really interesting stuff there, Mo. And uh, just, um, I'm not going to overthink it, so just going to pick up on a couple of themes. Otherwise, it will be a very stilted conversation. So I'm really interested. I'm going to pick up on what you said about assessment and would the world fall apart if we didn't assess? And the vast, vast majority of primary practitioners and pre-service teachers I work with, when we talk about how do you assess, what do you assess in primary, um, the answer is we don't. Um, and... I'm going to push back a little bit and by all means, you know, push back again. I think if there's no assessment, there's no subject. Um, and there's no way of looking at progress. Now, I also think, and this is where I agree with you more, that if we look at assessment as a neutral term or even something that needs to be done, I, I see it very similarly and I'll analyse it similarly to what you said about sport. Um, Sport has had a, a bad press in lots of circles. How often do we hear physical educators talk about it's not sport um, as if that's you know, a terrible thing? And, and no, don't get me wrong, I absolutely get the critique of presenting uh, physical education as sport when it is bad sport. And bad sport, I mean, when it is um, structured around uh, one, adult sport, and two, often highly commercialised elite adult sport. Now, that's really different to youth sport. And you'll know, as well as I do, that, uh, and you, in fact, you touched upon it, the, you know, um, age-appropriate, um, uh, constraints-led versions of sport 
which the national governing bodies have invested really heavily in. You mentioned cricket and wouldn't have half the rules. Well, the ECB have, have got rid of most of those rules and they've created a whole load of new rules with their cricket for children, which is a, a terrific, really inclusive, really progressive approach, really child-centred approach to cricket, as has rugby, as yeah. has football, as has tennis. So the, I, I see some of the best practice for retention in physical activity for creating really optimal experiences for young people i see some of the best practice on the national governing body websites and at sports coaches that are very good at doing that so sports not good or bad it's just it, it depends how it's used assessment's not good or bad so coming back to the assessment of, of pe which i think relates to the knowledge conversation if we if we arrive at more useful knowledge and i know that that's contentious what is useful knowledge if we arrive at the young person knowing how they operate in that world like you go into the golf club and i'm I, I know what the barriers are i'm going to be experiencing i know that this is a really technical game it's going to really test my patience how do i respond to that that whole psycho effective social domain um that's going to drive retention that's going to drive engagement and as you quite rightly pointed out that golf experience is not fun in fact it's pretty horrible but that's that's the course that you've opted into and you're probably going to get hooked into that for the next 20 years and yeah I, I, as a as a uh, I grew up a, <laughs> my dad was a very keen golfer at the, at the time and so yeah, this is not the easiest game yeah. on any I'm, level. I'm, I'm, I'm obsessed with it, Greg. I'm obsessed with it. Going through that, yeah. I'm obsessed with it. Yeah, yeah, it is. But you know, I'm picking that. Like, what's hooking you in? So there was probably a bit of a ramble there. But so I'm saying, I, I guess what I'm trying to say is, if we highlight what good knowledge is. So if you go back to the paper, and and I know you've got a couple of papers plans coming out of it. How does that lead into um, how we can do PE? how we can present PE in a more um, uh, productive, progressive way so that more kids uh, achieve what achieve that goal that you mentioned of, of doing this stuff. As you know, like we invest heavily in our time. Our, all of our work is around collecting the data, not to see what people know, but what their behaviour is. So yeah. we think that the ultimate goal is that the kids are actually doing this. And this goes back to my conversation with Hannah Bidder. Like, do, do, are we worried if they're doing it? If they're doing it, does it matter what knowledge that's propped up on? Um, and I think there's probably loads of knowledge there, but it's just, like you said, there's a lot of tacit knowledge. I've probably rambled on, so pick up on No, no, you, you have, because you kind of, there. yeah, no, but you, sorry, you haven't rambled on, but I do get what you're saying. And I think my kind of like radical flippant, like we don't need assessment. I think what you said is really key is like, in its current form with the, the rocky road that we're on in PE, like it can do more harm than it does good. And that's what I mean. Um, if you start afresh from a different different lens and looking at, okay, what knowledge is, uh, and knowledge is experience, knowledge is, um, yeah, knowledge is, is knowing how to do things and practicing how to do things. But it's, it's, more, it's more, it's bigger than just knowing how and knowing what. Like so, if you start from a, a holistic version of knowledge, then that kind of guides your curriculum, that guides your way of working with people. It guides the conversations you have when you're walking even down over to the field with someone. 
but you're having a conversation with, with them because you've all got this mindset of that knowledge is a lot bit bigger than just knowing the fact. You wouldn't walk that to, to the field and start saying, what's the teaching point for this? What's the teaching point for that? You just wouldn't. You'd be like, what was you up to the weekend? Oh, I did this. Oh, what did you find? How did you get on? And then you start to, it's, it's natural. It's a natural community practice to have these conversations. It's not natural to, to pigeonhole our conversations into three or four different um, technical points of doing things. But yeah, no, I agree. I agree with you in terms of where you start from will depend on how these things are. And sport, again, I love sport. Like I have no qualms about teaching sport in PE. Like even when, yeah, I, I agree when people say like PE is not sport. Actually, it, it is a lot, a lot of sport. It predominantly is. It's just the way it's dressed up. And there was a great project from the Youth Sport Trust. And they had a, I think they did a pilot on like modifying all sorts of competitions and games. And, and there's some really good stuff from that. But I, I just feel like it's sitting in, it's sitting in my Google, Google Drive. Maybe it's sitting in someone else's. And maybe it's in little pockets. But yeah, modifying games and, and, and bringing it down to suit the needs of the learner is a big thing for me. And, and that's where knowledge of the environment comes in. So sorry, Greg, remind me of your question. Was it, how did, was it to, to do with um, where do we see it next? As a, where, I'm, where not, I'm not yeah i'm not sure there was a question so <laughs> i apologize I'm, yeah. um but i think uh, so yeah where do, where, where's the where's the uh, work with alex and nathan gonna go if, you, if you're at liberty to say yeah so i think we're going to look at constraints as approach non-linear pedagogy as one way of potentially because it's it's grounded in the ecological dynamics which is looking about the the system is the the person and the environment they're they're one and one and the same there's no person and then i'm transmitting stuff to you and then you go and do this stuff in a vacuum so you have to have that into your consideration so even little things as simple as where you decide to have your lesson has a big impact and a lot of the time schools are constrained by where they can have them, but actually some of the time they're not sometimes there is an opportunity to no actually i'm going to take them in this patch of grass over here because this is going to be, the ball's going to bounce very different compared to this patch over here. Or I am going to take them to do basketball onto the concrete today, because that's going to be a little bit different than in the sports hall. So those little things there, people might think, oh, what's the point of doing it elsewhere? Well, what, just do everything in one space then. People don't do that. So you learn different things. There's different information in different areas. You learn different things. And some of those things, I think, can transfer to outside. So that the big idea I had and I was head of PE, which didn't really go down well, was to take every student to the local park. And I, I spoke to you about this before and do PE in a local park. So by the end of five years, you would have visited every park. Now that might be absolutely boring for some. I can't please everyone, but there may be 30, 40% of students who had never been to these parks, didn't know they existed, even though they live in the local area. Um, and I just had this vision of going to the park because I, I visit my parks all the time. I have a dog and I have a son. And, He's a bit of a guinea pig for me with exploring them. And I'm looking around and like, Ray, look how much we could do here. Like we could have about 40 kids doing loads of stuff in this space, but no one's there. And it's just me, my dog and Ray. And I'm like, if I was to walk through on a Saturday and see 30, 40 of our boys who decided to come by themselves to engage in movement in a park in a space they didn't know was even there, I think that would be a really positive piece of knowledge to have knowledge of your environment and not just knowledge of it but knowledge of how to interact with it because sometimes you can put all the equipment out on your playground as you want and people kids look at it and they don't want to engage in it 
So it's about that manipulating a little bit and trying to nudge and guide and, and co-create a little bit so people feel comfortable and actually find new ways to learn and to move. That's what I'm really interested in. So um, if you've got a knowledge base already to start from, then I don't think you're going to find new ways to learn or move or experience because you're actually trying to get them to go down a path so then you can assess them at the end. You've, you've preempted and predetermined yeah. the understanding yeah. and the learning, if that makes sense. Yeah. I love that. That's really some really fascinating stuff. And even if they're not going to the park, the notion of, I loved your example of taking basketball out of the, out of the sports or the gym and taking it into the playground and, you know, on tarmac. And, you know, I don't have the figures to hand. I don't, I'm not sure anyone's got the figures to hand, but of the kids who are playing basketball, I wonder what the, what the split is, how many are playing on street courts, park courts, compared to organised, structured club basketball. Now, I live near Finsbury Park in North London and the three versus three courts, uh, well, and the full-size courts, are vibrant, especially in this time of year, in the summer. And um, it's, a, it's a really great scene. And I'm thinking, you know, I'm going back to relevance and relatability. If, the, if we're trying to prepare kids for where they're actually going to do this stuff, and I'm, I've been really increasingly interested over a number of years now in... in uh, sensuous relevance like what are the senses that are sparked that either um, get kids into activity and or can often put kids off of activity what does it feel like you know it's an extension of really getting granular in that affective domain yeah. um, what does it look like uh, what do I feel like am I cold am I happy am I damp uh, is it raining you know how do I cope with all of that but, you know, if we're really frank as well, it's, it's, it's what, you know, you mentioned about contact, physical contact. What does that feel like to, to me as a 12-year-old, yeah. as a 15-year-old, especially when the other person's bigger or, you know, much taller on the basketball court? How do I deal with that? Um, you know, what does it smell like? That, I think, you know, I think we really overlook those sort of questions, whether it's the environment that we're asking kids to get change in what, or, or the sports hall, or the fresh air of the court, or the gravel and that noise and, yeah. you know, skiddy shoes and all of that sort of stuff. I think we absolutely skirt over it. Yeah, and I think you, you gave a really lovely example of how that, that really impacts on whether a kid is into it or whether we're putting them off. Yeah, and I think that's, that's key, because where the students or young people move, they're not going to come back in. Well, I said this to someone the other day, and they said they do climb over, but not going to climb back into school and start getting into the sports hall and playing basketball. Like, and it, it, for me, what it does now, an ecological dynamics, non linear pedagogy, constraints of the approach, I'm, I'm gravitate towards those areas, but not just because of the pedagogy, but because it's what the way it's opened my mind. And it's opened my mind because if I have to take the environment into consideration, then I also have to take in the social culture aspect of things, not just the physical surfaces. So I know for a fact that. When I was a kid, like I wasn't going leisure centre to, to rent and play basketball in a sports hall. That was never happening. And for a lot of kids, unless parents are taking them, and then you have to think about people's home lives, what have they got access to? Like, what do you have access to that you can engage with by yourself without needing anyone to support you? And half of the things that we do in school need adult support. No, I would say more than half of the things, a lot of the things they do. So for me, we are preparing you in this vacuum and we're saying, here you go, go out into there and go and engage in these things. I can't remember the last time I played badminton. 
I played badminton as an adult with my other half because we did it when we had no no child and we had some time. But all that stuff comes in as well. So when you get to, to, to university and you've got to work now and you you got whatever situation at home, what do you what can you actually engage with to be physically fit? Uh, that's not going to cost you any money. That's going to be you're going to feel comfortable. And I just feel we're, we've got so much, things, so many things around us that are free, they're accessible. Um, that as a minimum, I don't think you've got any harm in trying to educate someone's attention towards the knowledge of the environment around them. That's immediately available. And again, environment is, and this is the key point. It's not just about the where they are, but it's actually that how it feels to be in that space. And if you're not in that space for a specific period of time, then you won't, you won't ever, you won't feel comfortable in it. And and I think that's that's the way I feel anyway. Yeah, that's uh, uh, that's absolutely fascinating, and it goes back to a really big question about education and the purpose of education at a really macro level. Uh, are we educating kids to function and to thrive and to flourish within their local communities, um, or are we preparing them, or are we trying to extend them into other spheres of knowledge and experiences? And whose spheres are they, and who's shaping that agenda? Um, I, I just recently, earlier this year, enjoyed a, a wonderful book called The Ty Tyranny of Meritocracy by Michael Sandel. And um, he, he talks about the uh, how prominent and prevalent and powerful uh, what he refers to as the ideology of escapism is. So if, we're, if I put some real flesh on that, those bones, if you take someone like Raheem Sterling, um, he's lauded because he escaped the hardship of his upbringing and his community. And Michael Sandel asked the question, why does someone have to be successful to escape? Um, why can't one, the attention be, uh, well, why should anyone have to escape any community in, in, in the, who's growing up in the G7 or G8 countries? So there's a huge sort of political question there and economic question there. Why have we got quote unquote left behind communities and areas, which is he says is an abomination of uh, political decision making. Um, so if you extend that to PE, you know, I, I think dance is, is a really good example. Do we teach kids to dance as they're likely to move? Um, I, and I must admit, I'm a little bit torn here because I do see wonder and brilliance in teaching kids different stuff that they might not be familiar with. The yeah. best dance teacher I ever worked alongside took kids into really uncomfortable spaces in contemporary dance into ballet. And these were inner urban London kids and they absolutely flew. So I'm not sure I've got the answers, but I certainly got the questions there. <laughs> and just to wrap up, uh, yes. after another rambling because um I've, I've noticed you, you've been uh, um and i think it's really related actually you were talking about the social context and loads well uh, you could probably t draw, uh, draw dots together but you've been um tweeting or or referring to a movement called blacks can't swim um so just for people who are not familiar with with it what what uh, just share what you understand it to be and what's your relationship with it? Are you involved with it? Um, so if you wouldn't mind just wrapping up and talking yeah. about that. 
yeah, it's probably best that you streamline me as well, actually, and put me in because otherwise I'd end up going on for another 10 hours. <laughs> but yeah, blacks can't swim. So um, I wrote a, a blog a couple of, about a year ago. So again, through big education, I was connected um, to Hannah Wilson, um, diverse, diverse educators, and um, they're a great organisation because they just want to amplify, amplify voices. So yeah, I wrote a blog on race in PE and I was kind of looking around for some stuff for the blog and I found this film called Blacks Can't Swim. Uh, it was on YouTube. So Ed Okura is the producer. And it was, it was interesting. It was like, his story I could resonate with because I, I learned to swim as an adult and I only learned to swim because I, my, my old supervisor at Kingston said, uh, you better learn to swim if you're going to be, be, be a PE teacher. So I was like, okay, I better learn. And then you start thinking about why didn't, why didn't I learn to swim? But anyway, um, so yeah, he reached out to me on Twitter and said, oh, I'm going to do um, another project. I'm going to do a third one. So there's two films at the moment. And the third one, which is Blacks Can't Swim, um, is out was out yesterday for streaming yesterday so 4th of july go and have a watch us on amazon it's it's an amazing film but the films are made to change the narrative to have the conversation to put the conversation um into the the right people's hands but every everyone's hands really because everyone's got a role to play in in how to especially teacher pe teachers um but policy makers as well so yeah he's he made the third film um i'm in the film so um, uh, part of it, so it's a, it's a story which follows two young people, two different stories. I won't say put any spoilers, but it follows their journey of swimming. Um, and I am one of the interviewees who, who dips in and out with some, some bits of rambling um, about why we should look at swimming and why, we should, why it's such a life skill and such a valid life skill. Because um, I think Sport England has some facts about 95% of black people don't swim. Um, and 80% of Asian people, South Asian people don't swim. So and I know there's a bigger narrative around swimming in terms of primary, it's not just to do with, with uh, black people, but I know that swimming is a kind of elephant in the room. Like it's not being taught, it's not being, the, tell all I know, it is being taught, but it's not being supported. It's not being something that's seen as important until we get all these figures around drowning and, and so forth. So. I'm really passionate about it. I have a personal connection to it because I'm uh, swimming for me was a barrier, uh, something that I'm, I'm still learning to do now. I'm not a confident swimmer. Um, and I also know there's a lot of people who are, who would benefit from, like you said, with the dance, feeling uncomfortable for a while, but actually would really, really benefit and add, add something to their lives. Um, and that's what really breaks my heart when I see, and I don't mean to be nostalgic with you ever again, but it said something really silly like teach students were taught the wrong way to swim. They were taught to swim with their head in the water for breaststroke. That's absolutely the right way if you're a professional swimmer. If you're swimming with your mum on holiday, you don't, the worst thing you want to do is have your head in the water. You can't even talk. So people don't swim just to, to, to be athletes, to train. People swim because it's a leisurely activity, it's a social activity. And if we're, we're going to say that, yeah, you need this knowledge of swimming, the breaststroke where you're facing the water, and then you're going to be better at physically active, actually, that's going to be a really antisocial and put people off. <laughs> <laughs> I, I love that. I love that social swimming. Yeah, it's so overlooked, isn't it? It is like, it is the most presented as the most non-social activity you can't you can't hear anything often you can't see anything 
so yeah all of those barriers what, what a great start for a, a a course of work on on swimming would be just just paddle up and down the pool have a chat with your mate wouldn't that be lovely but that's that takes skill and technique and, and like justin o'connor's um, and laura alfie they've done that paper about reconsidering the tactical side of things that takes real skill to talk um, yeah, to keep, to, to, yeah, to basically just keep your pace and keep your cadence the same, yeah, yeah. Uh, so you can engage in the conversation with absolutely. With someone. <laughs> absolutely, and if it gets a bit much, just pull over to the side and you know stand at the wall for five minutes and exactly. know, be that person that you know everyone's like, "I'll oh, get out of the way. I've got to do my turn here. I'm coming yeah. the time. Get out of the way. Get out of the way." Trying to go um, as fast as way to get away from people, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we'd have to do yeah. that, mate. We'd have to rewrite rewrite um, uh, a relevant uh, scheme of work for, for swimming. Uh, I think that'd but, be a lot of fun. Going back to that, Greg, sorry, the blacks can't swim. In all seriousness, it's about education and it's about um, having people in the room who really understand the culture. Um, really interesting story from Daniel Obi. So she's the co uh, one of the co-founders of the Black Swimming Association, along with Alice Deering, the Team GB swimmer, and Ed Agura. And she told a story about culture and about how uh, the, the poor family that drowned, uh, they may have been on holiday and it's not in their culture to bury their children. But the officials, obviously, well, not obviously, there's no one in, in the culture who knows that culture. So they're adding more grief to this family because they're here's the body and, and you need to do this, you need to do that. And, and they're using their policies and procedures. But actually, that's not culturally relevant to that family. So instead of helping, they're actually adding more grief because they don't understand. They don't have the knowledge of the people that they're dealing with. They only have a knowledge base, which is, oh yeah, of course I'm going to bury my child. Why wouldn't I bury my child? But actually in that culture, it's, it's, it's not something. So I, I'm hoping I've got that story right and I'm not offended, but that, that really struck a chord to me is the education is not just about uh, facts and figures and propositional statements. It's actually more than that. It's a lot more deep rooted than that. Yeah, and uh, on on obviously on a less tragic level, although possibly with just as severe long term implications for for more and more people. Um, you know the whole conversation around P, where we started, where you started, PE for whom, owned by whom, for what purpose, doing what unto the children. Um, and what the long-term impact of their engagement um, and ability, willingness, motivation, enthusiasm to have to engage in things that should make their lives better, that make uh, all too few people's lives better. So um, I think that cultural relevance is possibly uh, no, a big conversation that we might pick up on another time. But um, yeah. I will definitely put in the notes, I'll put the links to... Um, the Blacks Can't Swim films, as well as um, signpost uh, to your link. So I'll put your Twitter link. Is there anything else that I should put in there if people want to contact you? No, Twitter link's fine. Happy to contact by email as well. I've got my, uh, probably best to do my um, personal email. So mojafar23 at gmail.com. Like you can tell I can talk this stuff forever. I will be talking it forever. Um, it's not just PE for me, it's not just a subject, like I, I live and breathe it, I love it. Um, I'm just constantly thinking and talking about it. 
Um, so yeah, happy to talk to anyone. And thanks, Greg, for, for having me to chat. Oh, Hope, hopefully, you. you got something out of today. Cause... Well, I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. I really enjoyed it. And you know, that that really comes through. That you know, it's not it's not just something you go to work to teach. And this notion of living and breathing it is is uh, really evident and and makes the conversation um, really uh, really interesting and exciting to for me to engage with and hopefully people will pick up on that so mo thank you so much for your time really appreciate um, your your uh, contribution and your effort and your willingness to engage in this stuff so thank you very much no worries thanks greg cheers mate